Hello, and welcome to the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTIC Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton, and I'm thrilled to have Scott Stewart back on our podcast. Scott is the Vice President of Intelligence at Torchstone Global and has over 35 years of analytical, investigative, and security experience. Before joining the executive ranks of Torchstone Global, Scott led global analysis of terrorism and security topics at Stratfor, and also worked as the intelligence coordinator for Dell, serving as a member of Michael Dell's executive protection team. Scott also spent 10 years as a special agent with the U.S. Department of State's Diplomatic Security Service, where he was involved in a large number of high-profile terrorism and protective intelligence investigations. Scott? Welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Fred. It's always great to be with you. Scott, I know there's nobody better at monitoring world events and situational awareness as it pertains to the targeting of corporations than what you do at Torchstone. And we've been watching groups like Just Stop Oil and Extinction Rebellion unfold a lot of uh, incidents and attacks and targeting of multinational corporations around the globe. What's going on here to help our folks understand this? Yeah, Fred, I think it's important that that we don't think about things like Extinction Rebellion, uh, Just Stop Oil as groups. They're really campaigns that are being waged by this wider movement uh, and this movement that's really not just uh, you know, trying to stop us using, uh, you know, oil and, and petroleum, but they're really trying to change and, and uproot the entire international political and economic system. And are they fixated on any specific sector? It it appears to be a little bit all over the map. Well, certainly they they, they have uh, they're, they're using the narrative or have adopted a narrative that's focused on the environment. Uh, And because of that, they really are heavily focused on the energy uh, sector at this point. But of course, they're going after anybody that has anything to do with the energy sector as well. So we see them going after uh, banks, uh, other people that are uh, involved in in any way really with with the, the energy industry in much the same way that we saw in the past uh, uh, groups like Stop Huntington uh, Animal Cruelty Shack, not only going after these labs that did animal testing, but everybody that had any business to do with the labs. So we're seeing the same kind of thing happening today with this movement, um, You know, going against anybody that has anything to do at all uh, with the energy sector. And yet we've also seen them target art galleries and sporting events. Well, yes. Uh, you know, the idea for them is to gain attention to the movement, to these campaigns. And they do that by doing kind of audacious, uh, you know, highly publicized events that are going to grab people's attention. 
Um, of course, you know, with the sporting events too, we've really seen them focusing on uh, sporting events and and venues that are associated or or sponsored by uh, banks or by energy companies as well. And as you look at these groups, and I know you've been following this for a long time now, is this an evolution from other groups that have come in the past? Yeah, absolutely is. Uh, what we saw is uh, the Extinction Rebellion campaign was actually kind of spawned out of the Occupy movement. Um, after the Occupy movement kind of dwindled down, you know, in the early 2010s, uh, a, a group of activists in the UK gathered together to kind of do, uh, you know, a hot wash to figure out what went wrong. And they decided that really their their problem was that they didn't have uh, a grievance narrative that was really appealing to a wider audience. You know, just this this uh, idea of overthrowing capitalism, you know, didn't really get people fired up. Uh, and so they decided that by adopting uh, this grievance narrative focused on uh, environmental things, on climate change, and then putting together an, you know, apocalyptic uh, you know, type narrative that this is the, you know, the end of humanity, uh, you know, uh, the people responsible for climate change or, you know, committing a genocide. Uh, you know, they really wanted to put uh, just an emphasis and, and try to get people uh, motivated to, to participate in these campaigns. And, and it's been very successful. Uh, we've seen a much wider, uh, I guess, array of people, of individuals involved you know, in these climate protests that, that have uh, spun up these campaigns. We've seen everybody from teenage activists to, you know, geriatrics involved in these uh, actions and getting arrested. You know, they're, they're willing to get arrested because of uh, the urgency of this narrative that's that's been put out. So, Scott, what advice is Tortstone are you giving to corporations uh, as it pertains to being on the lookout for these kinds of actions that that might be targeted against their corporate headquarters or their special events. Yeah, well, obviously, the the first thing is just to pay attention to these different campaigns and to pay attention to what they're focused on. Uh, you know, the types of activities uh, that they're conducting. And let's face it, uh, with with the things that we see going on right now with Just Stop Oil in the in the UK, for example. It's not impacting just you know one company or sector. They're slowing down traffic everywhere. Uh, they're impeding commerce. Uh, you know they're impeding logistics for a wide variety of companies. They're, they're uh, making it very difficult for people to get to work on time and things like that. So it really has a much broader impact uh, than just any one uh, company. The other thing is we see with some of the campaigns uh, that are that have spun off things like tire extinguishers. Um, you know, they'll run into a parking garage or in through a neighborhood up and down the street, letting, you know, the air out of everybody's tires. Um, and, and you know, they don't really care who you are or what company or, uh, you know, what your affiliation is. Uh, so so these are things can really have a, a broad impact. But specifically, we, we are looking and, and uh, trying to help our clients uh, keep some awareness of when their sectors and their specific companies are being targeted by these activists. Uh, of course, the other thing to, to think about is perhaps your company's not being uh, directly targeted, uh, but you're next door or perhaps in the same office building as a company that is. So there's a, a lot of things that, that we're looking for as we try to help our clients navigate 
uh, you know, through this this very difficult uh, time. Yeah, certainly proximity matters uh, when it comes to this. And and so when you're looking at this, Scott, and you've dissected these incidents that have occurred, is there a trending pattern? Are they mostly in Europe? What have you seen unfold? When and where? Well, no, we're, we're definitely seeing a lot of activity, uh, you know, in the UK. Uh, that's been one of of the uh, you know epicenters, but but it's definitely spread into other parts of Europe to include you know France and Germany, and and of course in the U.S. Uh, you know, just this week uh, we had the tire extinguishers uh, you know uh, kind of uh, campaign uh, conduct uh, an action in Michigan where they went and you know let the tires out of a whole bunch of of vehicles or the air out of a bunch of vehicle tires. So uh, you know this this is definitely something that 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 is capable of kind of, uh, you know, morphing and moving at the, at the speed of the internet. Right. So anybody it's, it's a lot like other movements we see, whether it's the white supremacist movement or other extremist movements, white supremacist movement, the jihadist movement, uh, you know, where we have, you know, kind of these influencers, these extremist influencers putting the grievance narrative out there. And then basically anybody that, uh, adopts that grievance narrative then is free to go out and kind of conduct these actions on their own. So if you're that chief security officer or that protective intelligence analyst now sitting at a financial services firm, what do you do? Uh, you watch and, and you pay attention. Um, so, you know, you're, you're, you're definitely watching uh, for trends. So when we see things like, uh, you know, we have with the, the Extinction Rebellion, they had the the, the money campaign there. Uh, so when they were going with the, the you know the money rebellion, when they were hitting the banks and smashing windows, you definitely pay attention uh, to that sort of thing. You pay attention to when they are targeting industries that you have significant uh, uh, investments in. So say you're a hedge fund or you know some other financial institution, and you have placed the money into pipelines or oil exploration or something else, you, you really have to pay attention to that as well. Or if you have your executive that's on the board uh, of one of the companies that, that's being targeted. So it, it really can, uh, you know, there are a lot of things to watch for. Have you seen any targeting at executive residences around the globe, Scott, related to this movement? Yes. And, and I believe that we're going to see more of that as it becomes more and more personalized. Uh, there again, much in the same way we saw that happen with uh, Shaq, you know, a couple decades ago with the animal rights movement. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, of uh, just kind of crossover in these various causes. Uh, and, you know, they will often kind of adopt uh, tactics uh, that, that have worked for them in the past. Uh, of course, that's also one of the concerns that we have. Uh, with this movement right now and with these various campaigns, uh, you know, on the face, they have been, you know, nonviolent. They come out and say we are nonviolent, um, although they'll take sledgehammers to windows, um, right. and, you know, uh, slash people's tires. But but they, they really haven't gone out to uh, to cause personal harm yet. Uh, but it is scary when you look at the grievance narratives of these groups. Um, it, it's it's not hard to justify violence uh when the the out group okay that the people that you say are doing bad things against you um when that out group's being portrayed as committing genocide uh you know it, it really comes very close to some of the narratives that we see with the white supremacist movement you know uh the, you know with david lane's 14 words and such 
as you and I both know from following these kinds of actions over the years, there's always these individuals on the fringes of all these groups. Talk a little bit about uh, the leaderless resistance movement as it may apply to how these groups are currently operating, Scott. Well, no, that that's exactly what it is. Uh, you know, as I was talking about earlier in, in our discussion, you know, the same way that we've seen jihadist groups and, and white supremacist groups adopt this concept of leaderless resistance, that's what's happening here with this environmentalist movement. And really, I mean, it goes back to the last generation of environmentalist activists as well. So we saw with like the you know Earth Liberation Front um, and some of the other radicals, uh, you know, that were involved there. Uh, in, in that extremist uh, environmentalist movement, uh, they understood that it's dangerous to organize. Uh, so because of this, what they do is you, you have these individuals who are the influencers, guys like this Roger Hallam, who'll put this material out there, these grievance narratives out there. They'll identify these enemies, uh, you know, the enemies of the in-group, and then they want to kind of, uh, you know, motivate uh, lone wolves or, or small cells in, in, in the Really, in the, the environmentalists, they, they tend to call them affinity groups uh, to go out and you know conduct activities themselves. And whether at, at this point it's you know smashing the windows of a bank, uh, whether it's slashing tires, um, you know, eventually I'm concerned that we are going to see an escalation, especially as their hopes are dashed uh, in, in terms of. Uh, you know, the, the the things that they want the government to do or the oil companies to do. So as, you know, governments refuse to stop, uh, you know, uh, giving new oil leases or, or you know, even when governments struggle to meet the climate goals, they said at, at places like Paris, I, I think that that's going to cause a lot of frustration among these groups and these people. And that frustration then and, and lack of progress uh, is, is what's going to lead to violence uh, and it's going to, you know, basically cause them from being extremists to, to cross over to, to become violent extremists, um, you know, because of that desperation and because of these beliefs that they've taken on due to this grievance narrative. Have you seen any evidence of uh, this, these groups uh, infiltrating or trying to get into multinational corporations from the inside? Oh, there's there's a long history of, of environmentalist groups doing that. I think one of the probably the, the prime example uh, was when we had the uh, uh, Greenpeace guys that dressed up in tiger costumes and they infiltrated the, the Exxon headquarters there uh, in Texas. Um, but but certainly it, it's something that, uh, you know, they like to do. They like to get into uh, company headquarters, into buildings and into sporting venues, you know, and hang banners. Uh, you know, do other publicity stunts at, at this point. Um, you know, most of it is that kind of uh, direct action, uh, nonviolent stuff, but but stuff that's still kind of embarrassing uh, for corporate security departments um, and can be concerning, uh, you know, if you do have somebody who's a, an extremist running around your building. Yeah, for sure. I vividly recall, and I think you were there with me when we watched the uh, Greenpeace activist uh, that was a hang glider land on the roof of the United Nations many years ago when uh, we were running protective intelligence operations up in New York. Uh, so uh, this has been extraordinarily valuable and, and really eye-opening. Scott, is there anything that you would like to say that I haven't asked you? I just think that that uh, you know I, I think it's important to note that that not all these people are are you know going to become eco terrorists uh, you know by definition and by intent this this is meant to be a very 
you know, wide and inclusive movement uh, and, and, you know, the movement that is behind these campaigns. However, there is that danger of just a small percentage becoming, you know, more radicalized and becoming violent extremists. And that's really what we need to, to focus on. And, and you know, as, as protective intelligence practitioners, keep our eyes open for our indications of these more violent individuals focusing on, you know, our protectees, our companies and our concerns. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for joining us today on the OnTech Protective Intelligence Podcast. Thanks for having me, Fred. This episode was brought to you by the OnTech Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by A.J. McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smokin' Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcasts on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.
We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about Antec's Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. This is why we created the Antec Center for Protective Intelligence. We're regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. 